If you have a copy of the Bible, I invite you to turn to, I always say that, if you have a copy of the Bible. You should have a copy of the Bible nearby. By now, you should know we're going to be looking at the Bible together. So take your Bibles and turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. I need to confess um, that uh, I told you last week that we had only, um, including last week, that we had three passages left to cover um, in our in our walk through First Peter, uh, and as I labored through and studied on this passage this week, uh, I decided I had to cut it up into smaller pieces, um, and so it's going to take us a little bit longer than that. So my goal had been to show you um, verses 1 through 7 of chapter 5, um, and, and see they're really, and I, I'll give you the shape of the context of those verses, I think it'll help us. Um, I was going to do all seven of, of the first verses uh, of chapter five, and and I see in there really three sort of aspects or components of a healthy church. So remember, Peter has been speaking to, to the people about suffering and hardship and trial and how to sort of be equipped and prepared to handle the trials that would come, and he's turned to the turned his attention now to the church and the way they relate to one another uh, inside the church. And, um, and so the first seven verses here, I see really sort of three components of a healthy church or a church that's well-equipped uh, to handle hardship and to remain faithful. And those would be, verses one through four, that they have faithful pastors. Verse five, that they have responsive members. And verse six, verses six and seven, that they have a humble fellowship. I was all excited about that outline. Look, I got my three-point outline from uh, these seven verses, and as I w- began to, to break, break it down and flesh things out, I just decided I'm not going to be able to do justice to uh, particularly the piece on, on pastors uh, in verses one through four uh, if I try to lump, them, lump it in with those, uh, those other two sections or the, the, the remaining verses. So forgive me, we're going to come to verses uh, five through seven next week, um, but for now, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. I'm calling the message simply, Shepherd the Flock of God. Um, and so it is about pastors. It's always interesting to preach a message uh, about pastoral ministry as a pastor, uh, of course, to the congregation uh, that I've been appointed to and entrusted with. Um, and in many ways, as I you know dig into passages like this one, and consider what it means to be a faithful shepherd uh, in Christ's church, um, the the task itself begins to feel very weighty. Uh, I'm reminded afresh of the the uh, the high calling that it is, and the the importance that God places on the faithful and careful shepherding of His people uh, in local churches. Uh, and uh, and I'm reminded again. That I, as a pastor, as an elder in a church, will uh, give an account. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says that uh, pastors will give an account for those uh, souls that have been entrusted to their care. So this is no small matter, um, and so I, uh, I, I feel a sense of the sort of just the weight and the seriousness of of that task, even as I've been um, spending some time in this passage this week. I hope to. Um, convey some of that to you uh, as we look through this passage together. Um, and I recognize a passage like this also has a very narrow, uh, it can't have a narrow application, like Peter is clearly addressing pastors. So 
you might think, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not going to be a pastor, so I can tune out. I don't have to pay any attention to this. But that would be foolish for a number of reasons. Um, you need to know, as a faithful church member, um, what a faithful pastor should look like and should be doing and the way in which he should be doing his job. Uh, there's a sense in which, as the, the flock, as the congregation, uh, I, as a pastor, am accountable to you, right? You, you are uh, to hold me sort of uh, accountable and, and, and any men who serve as pastors uh, in your church uh, to hold us accountable, uh, to do the work that they've been called to do. And you can't hold us accountable for something that you're not sure about, that you don't know what pastors are supposed to be doing. So it's good for that reason, just to make the church uh, equipped um, to ensure that their pastors serve them uh, appropriately and serve them well. Uh, it also helps you to understand how you can support and encourage and pray for and, and follow the leadership of uh, your pastors. And so uh, there's relevance there. If you understand the work that the pastor is trying to do, then and you recognize the, the context in which he's laboring, then you can sort of place yourself under the, 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 the authority that God has entrusted to, uh, to your pastors um, and follow leadership well. And that's, that's an important aspect of this too. It also just gives us a real picture of God's heart for his people. God's intentionality and care in ensuring that his church is cared for. And that his church is led and fed and nourished on his word. So it, it, is, it is worth uh, investing in and paying attention to. And I think there are some secondary kinds of applications uh, that I'll talk about some this morning. Um, that even if you're not a pastor or don't aim to be a pastor, um, will have some direct um, relevance in, in your life in other relationships that you, may, uh, that you may have. Let me share my screen with you so you can see the text and then we will jump right in. I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 4. You see the text right there on the screen. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. God bless his word. I think it's interesting that Peter addresses pastors first. Right? He's been speaking of suffering. Right? The context is the church will suffer the people of God need to be prepared to face the persecution, the insult and injury that will come upon them uh, because of their faith in Christ. And they need to be ready to, as he said in, verses, in the last verse of chapter 4, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So he called the church, trust God with your soul and your future and keep doing good. And then he says, so, therefore... I exhort the elders among you. And so I think that the fact that he addresses pastors uh, sort of first here in talking about the specifics of uh, the, the way that church, uh, th that Christians relate to one another within the local church is just a reminder, again, of the important role that pastors are to play. As 
suffering comes, persecution comes, pressure comes, those who are the most visible and obvious leaders in the church are likely to be the ones who experience it first, right? The, the sort of external pressure on a church will likely come through pressure on the leadership of that church, seen as sort of the, the public representatives of, of, of a church body. And so pastors are likely to experience that pressure first and in a maybe a, a, a particularly heavy way because they bear responsibility for uh, how the church responds and, and moves forward. Uh, he's reminded us, of course, that he said judgment is coming uh, and it's beginning in the house of God. Right? It's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And we recognize that that judgment is not condemnation. We talked about this last week. It's, it's discipline. It's the, it's the loving discipline of a father to his children. Nevertheless, pastors are the ones entrusted primarily with, with leading and encouraging and shepherding the people in the church through those seasons of hardship and, uh, and persecution. And so he addresses pastors, the elders among you. It's also interesting to me that he identifies himself as a fellow elder. He, he finds common ground here with the pastors among the churches uh, to whom he's writing. Remember, this letter would have been circulated among churches throughout Asia Minor. So each sort of congregation, as they received this letter, would have a direct exhortation to the pastors in that church from Peter, saying, as a fellow pastor, as a fellow elder, let me speak to uh, the, the elders who are uh, among you. I'm a fellow elder with you, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a fellow partaker in the glory that's to be revealed. Which glory is that? It's been all over this letter. It's the glory that's coming when Christ returns, right? And we see this common theme in First Peter of suffering being the pathway to glory, right? Just as he witnessed the sufferings of Christ he will partake in the glory that's to be revealed. Just as Christ suffered and ultimately was glorified, exalted, so will the people of God follow that very same pathway. We suffer with him, we identify with him in his sufferings, and then we'll be glorified with him. We'll share in that inheritance that is coming. And so then he addresses pastors, and essentially the first thing he tells us is the job Excuse me, that's where I already was. Uh, the job of a shepherd. The job of a shepherd. Um, so you see in the very first part there of verse 2, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God. So in a phrase, that's the job of a pastor. So if you've, if uh, I, I sent out a, a note sheet, a sermon note sheet that had some blanks to fill out. If you have that and are looking at that, this would be that first blank. Shepherd the flock of God. This is the job, in the broadest terms, of a pastor. Um, shepherd the flock of God. Interestingly here, uh, in these verses, all, there are three terms in the New Testament that refer to the same, uh, the same office, the same role. And all three of those terms appear in these verses. Uh, the first one of those is uh, this word right here, uh, where he says, uh, Actually, this not the first word is is shepherd. Poimino is the Greek word for it. Shepherd or, or do the work of a shepherd is in the verb form of it. So shepherding, that's the English word pastor is related to the word shepherd. And so that's where that's what pastor means. Pastor means shepherd. So if you ever hear people use those words interchangeably, that's why. Because pastor means shepherd. And shepherd comes from the Greek poimino here. Um, he uses the word episkopos. 
Uh, you see that actually right here, exercising oversight. That's uh, the word episkopos, oversight or overseer. Some translations may say something like, uh, when I speak of an overseer, the one who does the work of overseeing, uh, that comes from this word episkopos. Um, it's a part of the same office, the same function, excuse me, the same office of pastor, but kind of different functions. That's what I meant to say. So shepherd the flock, exercise oversight, and then uh, he'll use the word, uh, he used the word in, in verse one, presbyteros, where he said, as uh, to the elders among you, the word elder comes from presbyteros, which sounds a bit like the word presbytery or presbyterian. That's where the English word presbyterian comes from. It's just a transliteration of the Greek presbyteros, um, which is usually translated elder. So elder, shepherd, pastor, overseer, those three words appear interchangeably in the New Testament to refer to the same office, the office of pastor or elder, right? And, and people, different churches or traditions kind of emphasize different words, use uh, slightly different language or emphasize different things, but it's the same office. The New Testament knows two offices in the church, the, the office of elder and the office of deacon. And the deacon is, is sort of a lead servant, uh, an administrator, an organizer, uh, a sort of practical ministry leader. And the elders, pastors, are those charged with, uh, with this sort of spiritual care uh, of the church and, and, and leadership in that way. And so these three words uh, refer to the same office, but emphasize different functions of the office. So the word uh, oversight gives an expression, it tells us something about um, what a, a pastor is to do. It's, he's to oversee. That is, there is, a, there is an organizational sort of a leadership component to what a pastor does. He's to pay attention to what's going on in the life of his church. He's to guide at what's going on uh, among the people uh, and, and to lead them. So there, there is clear leadership oversight here that's a part of the role of a pastor. Um, he is to be a, a shepherd. And obviously Peter uh, heart, uh, uh, emphasizes this language in this passage today. Shepherd the flock of God uh, that is among you. And so when you're thinking about what does a pastor do? What is the job of a pastor? The job of a shepherd? It is this. It's shepherding the flock of God. And, and this analogy, um, the people of God are sheep. And I don't think God means anything offensive by that. I've heard people talk about how stupid sheep are, and so they take sort of umbrage at the fact that God's compared them to sheep. I don't think God is making some kind of a, a rude uh, analogy here. I think he's trying to show that sheep are limited, and uh, by themselves, they're helpless. And they need the care and the leadership and the provision of a shepherd. So when you think about what is a pastor to do in the life of a local church, the image of a shepherd fills in a lot of those blanks. I would summarize the, the, the work of a shepherd perhaps in two words. I meant to bring my uh, stylus with me, but I don't have it. Uh, so my handwriting is going to be a little sloppy today, sorry. I would uh, summarize it in two words. Number one is nourishment. And number two is oversight. It's exactly what, um, what he said there, to exercise oversight. Um, it's leadership. It's uh, attentiveness. Um, so nourishment and oversight. This is what a shepherd does for his sheep, right? He, he gives them what they need. He leads them to pasture. 
He makes sure they have the food and the protection that they need. He oversees them. And that requires him leading them from one place to another. It requires protection, uh, keeping out uh, thieves, keeping out wolves, things like that. So there, there's, a, there's a protective aspect of that. I would put that all under oversight, overseeing the church. So he's to nourish and to oversee his flock of sheep. And so a pastor, in the same way, is to, uh, to nourish and oversee uh, the, the lives of the, the people, the sheep of God, uh, who are in his, uh, in his church. So a couple of places where we can get a good picture of this. Jesus speaks in John chapter 10. We're going to come back to this passage later and look at some uh, different verses. But for right now, I want to read for you verses 1 through 5 of chapter 10 of John where Jesus gives a picture of what a good shepherd does. He says, Truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So we get a sense there that a shepherd has a personal knowledge of his sheep. He calls them individually. He calls them by name. I've even seen, uh, I saw a video a while back of, of a shepherd somewhere in the Middle East um, with his sheep. There's this large pasture where there's hundreds and hundreds of sheep. Um, owned by different people. Different shepherds care for different groups, but they're all kind of pasturing together. And so a shepherd comes out, comes to the gate of the, the fence and makes a sound, a, a sort of a, an audible signal of sorts, but they're different, slightly different sounds. And with each sound, a particular sheep from that giant herd of sheep comes running. And then he makes another slightly different sound and another particular sheep comes running. And he does that until all of his sheep are uh, are gathered to him, and then he leads them out. It's, it's, it's remarkable, and it points out here what Jesus means when he says, the sheep know his voice, and they won't follow a stranger. I could be like, hey, sheep number two, come here. And they're going to be like, no, I'm hanging out in this pasture because I don't know you, but if he knows my voice, even if there's a personal sort of a, a signal that he recognizes that is just his, he'll come when I call because he knows me. And in the same way, a pastor in shepherding the flock of God is to know his people, is to know um, the, the needs and the, the um, hopes and have a relational connection to the people in that church such that um, they would recognize his voice, they trust him, and they'll follow his leadership because he's demonstrated care for them and attentiveness to them. That is what uh, that is what a pastor is to do. And I should say that, that churches, um, I don't speak only of churches like ours who currently only have one elder. We, we desire, aspire to a, a plurality of elders. We're not there yet. Um, but even a church that has multiple elders, um, there, there's ways uh, I've seen of sort of dividing up, even bigger churches with, with multiple elders divide up the sort of shepherding tasks and responsibilities among the among the body of elders, so that there aren't people slipping through cracks, right? There's not, uh, oh, what, what happened to so-and-so? They were here for a while, and then I haven't seen them in a while. I don't know. I, you know. I hope they're okay. Faithful shepherding requires more than that. 
And so there, there's a there's a requirement, a responsibility for pastors to, to know uh, their sheep, not their sheep, the Lord's sheep. Um, Paul exhorts the elders in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 uh, and using this same language as he's speaking to the church in Ephesus, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He's made you, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, and therefore you are to pay attention to the flock. You're to shepherd them. You're to care for them. You're to nourish them. You're to provide for them. I'm sure that chief in Peter's mind, when he writes these verses, shepherd the flock of God, must have been the words of Jesus to him at the end of John's gospel. After Jesus had risen from the dead and he came and gathered with his disciples on the shore. You probably remember the scene in John chapter 21 where Jesus comes to Peter and he says, do you love me? Peter says, of course I love you. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. And he does this three times, saying slightly different phrases, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, uh, that kind of thing. And so uh, over and over again, we have this kind of threefold reinstatement, if you will, of Peter uh, in, in ministry and as, a, and as a, an elder, a, a pastor, and an apostle even beyond that. Um, but the emphasis that Jesus places on the role of Peter is take care of my sheep. And so that those words must be ringing in Peter's ears as he uh, exhorts the elders, the pastors among these churches, take care of God's sheep. Um, and I do want you to notice uh, two things from, from this verse before we move on. Um, the first is that the flock is God's, not the pastor's, right? He says, shepherd the flock of God, not shepherd your own flock, right? They're not, the, the flock does not belong to the, to the shepherd, the under shepherd in this sense. The, the, the people in a church do not belong to the pastor or pastors in any way. They're God's people. And he's entrusted those people for a time into the care of these pastors. And so he's saying, shepherd the flock of God. And the second thing is that the shepherd, the flock for which the pastor is responsible is the flock that is among you, right? Shepherd the flock of God among you. Uh, in, a, in verse 3, he's going to use the words in your charge uh, about those, those sheep. So a pastor is to be responsible not for every Christian everywhere, but for a particular group of Christians who make up uh, a local church. And so uh, I think that the, the particular relationships between a pastor or, or group of pastors and uh, the Christians in a particular group uh, who know the shepherd's voice, for whom the shepherd, the pastor, is responsible to shepherd them, to nourish them, to protect them, to care for them, to exercise oversight. I think um, that picture is, is spelled out by the word membership. So when we talk about church membership, that's what we mean. We're talking about this particular arrangement, this particular agreement among this group of Christians and these particular pastors uh, to work together, to live together according to God's design and order uh, to carry out his mission. So these pastors are caring for these people, and these people are caring for one another and, and following the leadership of these pastors, right? So membership sort of sums up those relationships. The sheep belong to God. 
but he has entrusted their nourishment and provision to pastors in local churches, which is a huge responsibility, a huge calling in the life of any pastor to recognize these people who Christ purchased with his blood, as Paul said in Acts 20, 28, God is entrusting to me to care for them, to lead them, to protect them, to make sure that they are fed with the word of God. It is no small thing. And I want you to see, friends, that this is God's ordinary means of Christian growth and discipleship. Regular, active life in the church under the teaching and care of qualified men who are entrusted to teach and care for you. That is God's discipleship plan, if you will. (laughs) The, The discipleship program of God is the local church living in community underneath the leadership and instruction of particular pastors whom the Holy Spirit has made overseers in that church. That's, that's how God wants you to grow. So if you are to grow in your faith and in your knowledge of God and in your, uh, your following of Christ, it will be through the ordinary means of church life as you hear the word of God, follow the, the leadership of, of the pastors that God has placed um, in your lives and to live together in a humble way. As a pastor, it's my responsibility to care for you. And just as a a confession here, um, it's very easy um, for, uh, for pastors to spend way more time worrying about the sheep who aren't here than focusing on the care of the sheep who are here. I think, I think, all pastors deal with this at some level, but I think in a church planting scenario like ours, it might even be more pronounced because there's this strong sort of drive or an understanding that if we don't gather more sheep, this flock won't survive, right? We have to have more people to be able to continue uh, what we're doing. And so there can be a real pressure uh, to sort of focus on how can we get more people in, right? How can I bring more sheep uh, or uh, you know, invite more people in who become sheep, um, and so we we work there, we we worry there, we pray there, we we plan and process there. Uh, meanwhile, the sheep who are here in this flock may be a bit less cared for, uh, and so I think that that's been a particular. As I've confessed to 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 our church family, um, there I have felt that pressure, that pressure to like get more, to build this, to find more people to grow kind of, uh, not at all costs, but at cost. Um, and, and to the extent that that effort or that pressure or that energy toward the sheep who aren't here has led to my failure to care for you well, to pay enough attention to you, the sheep who are here, I apologize. I, I just, I just sense this need to, uh, just to confess I'm, I'm flawed. Um, and I, and I think that I know I have felt that pressure. And so I'm sure that the pressure to like get the more sheep over here, um, it must come at the cost of ways that I could have and should have been caring for the sheep who are here. And so I, I, I hope you'll, you'll receive, uh, that word of, uh, of confession and apology from me. If in any way you've been affected in that way, felt like Kyle hasn't really paid very much attention or, or shepherded me well. Uh, I hope that's not the case, but if it is, please forgive me. Um, God has been speaking to my heart through these verses uh, this week.
about the, the importance and the need uh, to pay close attention to the sheep in this flock. So the job of the shepherd, I've already said probably more than I needed to say there, um, but that, that's it. The job of the shepherd is to nourish the people, to, to oversee uh, the, the people of God, to, to care for them, to protect them, to feed them God's word. Feed my sheep, said Jesus, the job of a shepherd. Well, now Peter gives us uh, a pretty decent picture of the manner of a shepherd. In other words, the, the way in which a pastor should carry out this work of shepherding And it tells us a bit more about the sort of heart and motivations and and demeanor and character of the pastor than it does about specific functions. So he doesn't go into long details here about the exact kinds of things a pastor should be doing, um, but more about here's the way in which a faithful pastor will carry out these uh, responsibilities. How is the pastor to shepherd the flock? And so he gives three contrasting pairs Uh, in the next few verses, to illustrate the nature of faithful pastoral ministry. The first one, you'll see there in 2B, uh, I'm going to give you these blanks to fill, uh, there's blanks to fill out, I'm going to go ahead and write them in for you. The first one is this, gladly, not grudgingly. That's a big old word, and man, that is ugly handwriting, I'm sorry. Gladly, not grudgingly. You see there in verse 2b, it says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Literally, that phrase, as God would have you, is according to God. You might even have the sense of, like God does, right? The way that God cares for his people is willingly, gladly. He's he's happy to do it. He serves you joyfully. Uh, God is happy to to care for you and and to to feed you and, and to provide for you. And in the same way, a pastor should shepherd the flock of God gladly, not grudgingly. There's a wrong mindset, uh, at least one wrong mindset, uh, of pastor ministry. Something like, well, somebody's got to do it. I don't see anybody else stepping up, so I might as well uh, sign up. And, you know, that's obviously not um, the heart of a pastor uh, that God honors. That's not the heart of a faithful pastor. The right mindset is, it is God's will for me to serve his church, and he's gifted me in appropriate ways for this office, and so I will gladly carry out this ministry. Reminded of Paul's words in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The desire of a man to be a pastor and serve as a pastor is relevant It's not unimportant. We don't drag somebody kicking and screaming into the role of pastor or elder. We we look for the men who want to serve in that way. And in some ways, probably already are serving in those ways. Those who are inclined naturally to build relationships and to help others follow Jesus and to, to take care of people. Those are the people we kind of look for and go, let's see if there might be a desire for them to be an elder, to aspire to to that office. So the desire for it is important. A a faithful pastor will serve not grudgingly, but gladly. He will happily share. Now, this doesn't mean that pastoral ministry is easy or comfortable or without its burdens and stressors. Of course, it comes with some of those things, like all positions and jobs and certainly leadership positions do. There are seasons of difficulty. And, and weariness uh, in, in shepherding work. And God's grace is necessary. 
right? Pastors need God's grace to continue carrying out the ministry that God has entrusted to them. Um, and so um, don't think that a pastor is sort of impervious to discouragement or stress or fear or, or things like that. Um, I have certainly experienced uh, my share uh, of, those, uh, of those things uh, in the work of pastoring and in the work of, of, of planting and trying to work to build uh, imprint community church. So it comes, a lo- it comes with its share of, of challenges and hardships. But at the, at the very foundation of it, there has to be a sense of, this is what I'm called to. I'm glad to do this. This is what I want to do to serve God and his church, rather than, boy, how much longer do I have to do this? Like that, that is not the, the mindset of a faithful pastor. So he should serve gladly, not grudgingly. That second set of blanks you'll find, um, I'm going to write it in for you. The faithful pastor will serve sincerely, not selfishly. Sincerely, not selfishly. And you see there in uh, the later part of verse 2, he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Shepherd the flock of God among you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Eagerly, the NIV translates this greedy for gain. And this is not to suggest that a pastor shouldn't be paid uh, for the work that he does. In fact, the New Testament teaches in a number of other places that that is appropriate uh, for the one who uh, who lives by uh, preaching the word of God to earn his living from the gospel. Paul uses that language. Um, so there's, there's there's other places in the New Testament that that speak of the appropriateness of of a church providing for the needs of the ones who are laboring in sort of preaching and teaching and shepherding the church. So it's not to say that pastors shouldn't be paid for uh, the work that they're doing among the church. But I think there's two, two aspects to this warning uh, of not trying to seek shameful gain. Number one is a pastor must never obtain financial resources dishonestly. Maybe that sounds like obvious and doesn't need to be said, but there are opportunities for men in ministry to seek dishonest gain, uh, either by just flat-out illegal criminal activity, like embezzling money from the church, which we've seen happen, right? You can Google pastors embezzling from the church, you'll find some stories. It happens, right? Uh, That's obviously a dishonest gain, shameful gain. Um, But it might even come in more subtle ways, uh, like, seeking sort of outside uh, opportunities or, or trying to solicit, you know, weddings and whatever other kind of service, ministerial services that I might provide just because I want to make the money. Again, that's not to suggest that sort of an honorarium for a ministerial task is inappropriate, but there's a, there's a heart thing here. There's a desire for, uh, for what I'm doing. And that leads me to number two, financial gain should not be the primary motivation of a pastor. Um, if what I'm doing uh, in the work of the church is just because I want to get money or earn a living or have a nice salary or whatever it is, uh, then, I'm, uh, then I've missed the boat on what God is calling shepherds to do. Uh, the, the motivation of a pastor is to glorify God and to care for the church, not to receive um, money, all right? Again, it's not to suggest that pastors shouldn't be paid. And if I were arguing that, I'd basically be telling you right now that I'm resigning uh, because uh, this is how I earn my living, right? So I'm certainly not arguing that, that a church should not pay their pastor. I'm simply speaking here, as I think Peter is, to the heart of the shepherd. 
the pastor's motivation must not be um, the, the acquiring of wealth and resources. Scott McKnight says as well, he says, um, it, it's not, so a pastor should ask not how much can you pay me, but will this salary figure and the lifestyle it permits be helpful for the cause of Christ in our community? A Christian worker deserves to be paid, but there is a difference between making money and serving money. I think that's a, that's a, good, uh, a good way to, to voice that distinction. So money is not bad. Uh, a church paying its pastor uh, and, and so that he can earn his, his livelihood for his family um, because of the work he's doing in church is not inappropriate. It's biblical. Um, but there's a difference between uh, making money and serving money. And that, that exists primarily, at least first, in, in the heart of the pastor. And so it's a, a heart check thing for those who serve in this office. It's similar a, a bit to the call to serve gladly, like he just did uh, in the first one, serve gladly, uh, but not grudgingly or willingly. Um, and this phrase indicates that pastors should serve God's church out of a sincere desire for their good and God's glory. All right? So the sincerity of this is that I am earnestly desiring the glory of God and the good of his people. That's why I serve, not to see what I can get from it. Sincerely, not selfishly. And then the final uh, pair here of contrasting terms is uh, what I'm gonna, the way I'm going to say it is this: by influence, not by insist, uh, insistence. Excuse me. By influence, not by insistence. A pastor should shepherd the flock of God by influence, not by insistence. Look, look at that phrase in verse three: not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Pastors are to lead by example, not by mere authority. Now there's a tension here because there is a certain authority that God has placed uh, in the, the, the office of elder or pastor. Uh, there's a certain authority that God's given pastors to, to lead and to feed and to correct and to guide uh, the church. But if a pastor's leadership is leaning on authority, it's leaning on position, and I'm sort of insisting on my way because I'm the pastor, then I am not being a faithful shepherd. That is not how a faithful pastor shepherds the flock. He shepherds the flock by example. He shepherds the flock by influencing the people toward God and his word and influencing them toward even the direction he believes that they should go. So as a pastor determines, here's what I think our church should be or how I think we should serve or a way we need to grow, I don't go, get your, get your act together, people. I'm the pastor and I said this and that's the way it's going to be. He uses his relationship and his example that he sets to influence the people toward growing in those ways. Surely, again, thinking of Peter and the context in which he's writing uh, these, these words, he must have ringing in his ears the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 44, Jesus said this to his disciples. Jesus called them and said to him, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, 
And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And then he said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The style of leadership, if you will, we use that phrase, leadership style, should be one of example and influence, not of authority and insistence. I demand my way because I'm the guy with the title. That has no place in Christian leadership. That has no place for one who is called to shepherd the flock of God. And I've seen that style of leadership. Perhaps you've been under that style of leadership before. It leans very heavily on position, pulls rank, plays the authority card in order to get their way. Peter exhorts pastors, do not lead like this. There's other places where that is seen as well. First Timothy 4.12, Paul says to Timothy, um, set an example for the believers in life, in love, in purity. Hebrews 13.7 says the same thing to churches. Uh, uh, follow your leaders. Uh, imitate their example. So we see the example of the pastor is, is uh, an extremely important aspect of what it means to shepherd people. We don't beat sheep over the back with our rod to get them to do what we want them to do. Now, there's a time for the rod, right? The shepherd does carry the staff. There are times that a sheep needs to be sort of grabbed and forcefully pulled back. But that's for the sheep's good, not for the shepherd to get his way. I prefer that, Pastor. Why are you over there? Get back over. No, it's it's to protect the sheep from danger that he doesn't see. That's what, uh, when situations that call for that kind of leadership, it's for the good of the sheep, not for the, the whims of the, the shepherd. Interestingly, in this passage, I see Peter exemplifies this very principle in how he addressed the pastors uh, in, among his first readers. I, I said earlier that he identified himself as a fellow elder. He could have said, as an apostle of Christ, I command you, shepherd the flock of God, right? He would have been right to do that. And we see places where the apostles kind of speak that way, kind of wield their authority to demonstrate what they're speaking is from God, right? It's authoritative because it's God. And he could have done that, but he didn't. He, he said, uh, instead, he identified himself as a fellow elder, thus emphasizing his understanding of their task and sympathizing with the, the seriousness and the challenge of the work to which they've been assigned. And so in doing that, he comes alongside them as an encourager instead of saying, now, listen here, pastors, you do what I'm telling you to do. He says, man, I know, I'm a fellow pastor. I know what this is like. Let's let's do this together. Let's let's shepherd the, the flock of God. Well, if you'll allow me to step beyond the boundaries of this text um, and the particular audience and context, I'd like to address with this, uh, the influence, not authority, I'd like to address parents and really anybody who is in a position of leadership or, or granted any kind of authority, whether it's in your work life or your home life or whatever, uh, there's some real relevance here for how parents lead their children, how bosses lead their employees, how husbands lead their wives and families. Um, influence, not insistence, is a pretty good motto for effective leadership. Influence, not insistence. Um, you will not get very far with most people by throwing your weight around. If you say, I'm the dad and I said so, you do what I say, I've said it, 
All right, I'm guilty of it. And maybe there's a time that that's okay, that that's appropriate when all else fails. Um, but for the most part, on the whole, generally speaking, you will get much farther with people. You will be more effective as a leader when you patiently seek to influence those in your charge by persistent instruction and example, rather than by sort of domineering, pounding the table, demanding your way, reminding them of your authority. Influence, not insistence. This is the way of uh, Christian leadership. So that's the manner of a shepherd. Gladly, not grudgingly, sincerely, not selfishly, and by influence, not by insistence. And finally, the last verse of this passage, we see this, the reward of a shepherd. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The unfading crown of glory. Now, I don't know whether this is like some particular kind of reward that pastors get that other people don't get. I doubt that that's what Peter has in mind. Since you're a pastor, you get like a special reward. I doubt it. Although the book of James tells us that that teachers will be uh, judged with a stricter judgment. So it could be that also the reward of, of a pastor or a faithful teacher would be um, sort of distinctive in some way. I don't know. Um, I sort of doubt that's what Peter is getting at. And his use of the word unfading points us back to 1-4, right? There is an inheritance that is unfading, undefiled, kept in heaven for you, right? So he reminds pastors here that there is a reward, there's glory that's coming. When? When the chief shepherd appears. I love, so first of all, this is the return of Christ. Once again, Peter is pointing his readers, in this case pastors, toward the future glory of the return of Christ and the revelation of Christ and the, the joy and the fullness that will come when Christ returns. This is even to motivate pastors to serve faithfully in their local churches. But I love this phrase right here, the chief shepherd. Christ himself is called the chief shepherd. And so in this sense, the shepherds in a local church who are shepherding God's flock are under shepherds, shepherding underneath the authority and the tutelage of Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. He himself is the great shepherd. You may remember the words of Hebrews 13, 20. It's a benediction I, I, I read frequently uh, to end our services where it says, Now may, uh, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Right? That is, that's how the author of Hebrews identifies Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. And so pastors serve in local churches under his authority and following his example as he has shepherded uh, his people as a shepherd. The work and manner of a shepherd of Christ's flock are all exemplified and held together by the capable, faithful, merciful care of our chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now envisioning God as a shepherd is not new. Right? One of the most loved and best known passages from the Old Testament is Psalm 23, which begins, The Lord is my shepherd. And it envisions a scene of sort of going pasture and, and peace and, and the care and protection of, of a shepherd. So it's not as though thinking of God as a shepherd is, is a new thing. 
Um, but to think of Christ as the good shepherd is such a good reminder in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of the hardships that we face as God's people in this world. It's a reminder of who Christ is to us and Christ's heart for us. His strong arm and tender mercies are precisely the grace that his sheep need to navigate the treacherous path before us. We need his shepherding heart. And while a pastor may figuratively lay down his life for the flock of God entrusted to him as he uh, serves them self, selflessly as he prays for them fervently, as he, as he works and labors in, in the word of God to provide biblical counsel and exhortation and instruction. The good shepherd quite literally laid down his life for his sheep. I'm going to take you back to John 10 as we wrap up. John 10, verses 14 through 16, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Friends, the Lord Jesus Christ not only provides the best example of what it means to shepherd, what it means to faithfully care and labor, and protect, and to feed, and to provide for his sheep, for his people. He laid down his life. His care and concern for his sheep was so deep and so vast that he willingly gave up his life to pay for the sins of his people who rebelled against him. And he rose from the dead to defeat death and to provide new and eternal hope for everyone who would trust in Jesus Christ. This good shepherd gave up his life so that we might know him, so that we might experience the goodness, the peace, the joy of his presence in the valley of the shadow of death. Friend, if you haven't met this Jesus, if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, don't wait. Admit your sin. Turn to Christ. Thank him for the sacrifice that he made for you on the cross and invite him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And you too can be one of his sheep. Friends, we have this great encouragement um, that, that the shepherd of the sheep who gave up his life is the very one who is sitting at the right hand of God and who will one day return and gather his sheep to himself and there will be one flock, one shepherd, will be with him in glory forever. Praise God.